This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Today's episode focuses on Jesus' feeding of the 4,000, found in Matthew 15, 29 to 39. Together, we will be discussing how Jesus takes our desire for him and all that we have to offer and makes it enough. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. And I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano Podcast. Uh, back with you. New Year. Same us. Um. <laughs> new Year, New You. Hopefully transformed us. <laughs> transforming right. us. New Year, transforming us. Um, just as a quick reminder, last week we uh, talked about the, the faith of the Canaanite woman and and the really cool thing about that passage was uh, how it brought us into face to face with the reality that God is with us, which was so appropriate for you know uh, Christmas ha- having been last week, and, and the reality that at at Christmas Christ came and 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 God was with us, Emmanuel was there, um, and so this week we're we're continuing on in the story. Keep that Canaanite uh, story in your mind, though. Um, and we're going to continue on into uh, Jesus feeding of the the four thousand. So this is going to be a, another um, food miracle uh, in Matthew that we read about, and that is in Matthew fifteen verse twenty nine through thirty nine. And we're going to have Derek read that for us today. So Derek, would you take that away? Matthew fifteen twenty nine. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And they in turn to the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. All right, so that's our passage uh, for us today. Um Let's just dive right in. What are you guys seeing? What What's popping out to you? So um, I, I think one of the things that, that sticks out initially is where where Jesus is and where he is um, where he is moving toward. He um, he's along the Sea of Galilee, and so this region would have been a region that was a, a, a Gentile um, region of the area, and so. I think it's important to know that that as we already know that his gospel isn't just for 
for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. And I think it sets us up for what we will see later in Matthew or at the end of Matthew. And so, um, yeah, I think that's one one really important thing that we can take from this, that God's gospel, as we've talked about before, is not just for some, but it's for it's for all. Right. In that conversation, as we were reading this time, um, it talks about how so the, the the Jesus takes the bread and and the fish, but particularly I I guess the bread jumped out at me because it's later we know this this is symbolic of Jesus's body, and he takes the bread and he gives thanks, much like what we will see later paralleled in the Last Supper. He gives thanks and gives it to his disciples to be distributed to the crowd. And then after that, so Jesus's broken body, if you can like follow this analogy, Jesus's broken body is distributed to the whole crowd. And then you have these seven basketfuls left over. So here in following up, Derek, with what you had said about how this is this Jesus, he's for everybody. And he's beginning to really teach that and ingrain that. And not to worry, because there's enough Jesus to go around for Gentiles and Jews alike. And then some. Mm-hmm. It's good. And and in that, like, we would see, like, the disciples were Jews among Gentiles. Jesus is a Jew among Gentiles. And so they didn't see them, although they were outsiders, because of the, what Jesus had lived before them, they weren't treating them as outsiders. They were treating them... Um, as others who just needed what he could offer. And and even the Gentiles didn't view Jesus as a Jew. They viewed him for who he was, not for, not for his nationality. And so I think when we get to that place of desperation, like I would imagine many of the people who were coming before him who were lame and, and blind, and uh, I imagine that they were desperate. And so there's, there's something to that being desperate. It doesn't, like, it removes all obstacles. Desperation removes anything that would typically hinder us from being in the presence of someone else. I think the, uh, the other thing that grabbed my attention at the beginning of this passage, uh, in, in addition to this, like, reality that, of where he's traveling and how it's in Gentile territory, um, was the fact that Jesus, uh, the, the second half of verse 29 said, then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And when I read that, I immediately, like my mind went back to the sermon on the Mount where like, that's, that's the initiation of that teaching is he goes up on the mountainside and he sits down. And in that time frame, uh, kind of like a historical context, like a teacher, when, when a teacher was ready to teach and was going to begin teaching, the position, the posture that was assumed was that of sitting down. Uh, today, you know, when a teacher is ready to teach, they stand up. And that's when the class knows, okay, class is be ready to begin because teacher is now standing up in the front of the class. That's not so in, in this situation. Him standing would have not indicated much, but as soon as he sat down, it's like, okay, now it's time for us to hone in on what is going on here. And I think the reason why that really caught me as I thought about it some more was I've always read this passage as just a straight like miracle passage where like 
people are being healed and then people are being fed with food. But the opening of this passage to me seems to indicate that it wasn't just like miraculous acts that were occurring at this place. Like Jesus was sitting down to teach and people were coming to hear what he had to say. Yes, they, they knew what he could do. And so they brought their sick to him, but they were also bringing themselves to him uh, and subjecting themselves to what he had to say. And also, I mean, it's only what, 10 verses, uh, 11 verses uh, that of space that is taken up. And yet this is a three day period. Like this is a, a pretty intense time. I guess if I were to think about it today, maybe like a revival of sorts that was going on. So that, that was what, what grabbed me is just how much more there is going on in this passage than I think I ever initially thought. And I think teaching doesn't always have to come with words. And maybe, and maybe that's why there isn't really any statement about Jesus saying anything, um, because maybe the teaching that he was wanting to accomplish came through his response to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, because when we talked about this um, in our discussion at, at our tables on Sunday, that was, you know, the teaching aspect came up. Um, but as you, as you talk, that, that's something that came to my mind, that, that maybe the teaching was just through the way he, the example that he was giving and not necessarily what he was saying. So that's kind of reminiscent uh, to me of last week and, and maybe like a, a continued playing out of part of the conversation that we had last week about how like Jesus in the exchange with the Canaanite woman um, didn't necessarily teach through the words that he said, because if we're honest, the words that are on the page don't really sound like the Jesus that we know throughout the rest of Matthew, but the action that was playing out in the process of it was a lesson that said, look, what I have to offer, it's for everybody. And ultimately you're right. I like ultimately woman, your faith merits my, my healing uh, of your daughter. And, and so this really is for everybody. And, and so just like last week, he didn't necessarily teach that lesson by saying words. He taught it through his actions. Uh, he's, he's continuing that lesson where he says like the salvation that I offer, the, the, the wholeness that I bring is not just the wholeness that is for the people of Israel, but it is also for these Gentiles here that he's healing and feeding and, and caring for. I think the, the next thing that really sticks out to me is, is verse 32 where, where he says, I have compassion for these people. They've already been here three days and have had nothing to eat. And, and so now he's kind of putting words behind the teaching and, and, you know, I, I would say it's more specific to the disciples because he, that that's who is uh, he he's addressing. Um, but he, he brings in this compassion aspect, but he's also like preparing to go into this, this like idea of, of showing them or teaching them that, that 
even though people aren't necessarily asking for something, like he knows what they need before they even ask. And so he he's not just looking to meet the physical needs, like the the healing that they need, but also to sustain them with with food. And they haven't even asked it, but they've been so desperate for three days, like food has not been on their mind. And so there's this idea of what his compassion looks like. He knows what we need before we even ask. I wonder about the three days and if there's any parallel. I don't know if that if that has any meaning meaning necessarily knowing like that he was it was three days until he would rise from the the grave because it seems like there's so much he's beginning to teach about the cross just in these different elements that that we've been reading about over the last couple of weeks and then the great commission he's about to send everybody on and so uh, I don't know and I the wonder breaking of bread that you brought up previously yeah so I just wonder if there's any I don't know maybe maybe a parallel between those three days. Um, of them being there waiting, you know, at hearing, waiting to see Jesus, like waiting to be fed by Jesus, essentially, um, unknowingly. So, right. Like not even, not even recognizing necessarily their need for that, but Jesus seeing their need. Um, yeah. I don't know. And then I guess in the, just after that, uh, where Jesus says, I do not want to send them away hungry. Um, I know these words in context refer to this crowd um, who have a long journey ahead of them as they go back. But I imagine that's kind of what, what it's like every time we come to spend time with Jesus. Mm. Um, I feel like I can hear him saying that. I don't want to send you away hungry. Um, come to me. Come be fed. I want to feed you. I want to provide for you um, and, and meet your spiritual needs every time we meet. He wants to satisfy. Yeah, so I see that promise tucked in there in his words. So when I look at this, I see a lot of um, parallels to the feeding of the 5,000 that happened in chapter 14. And, you know, Derek, you brought up that, you know, this was Gentile territory. Um, It seems that Jesus is doing, you know, Jesus fed the 5,000, um, in is you know in Jewish territory, and goes and feeds four thousand in um, the Gentile territory, and he does it the same exact way. Um, he you know he finds out what is available, and he has everybody sit on the ground. He takes the food, um, and he thanks the Lord for it, and he breaks them into pieces, and he gives them the give them to the disciples who distributes them to the crowd. Um, it reminded me um, when we were talking about this on Sunday um, that he's the same. He's the same for the Jew. He's the same for the Gentile. He's the same today as he was yesterday. You saying that um, specifically when you said like the, the continuity that exists and the parallels between the other story of the feeding, there, there's something that in my mind has been that I've kind of been throwing around and I think it's it, very similar conversation um, because what he said, let's see, verse 30 and 31, um, essentially that the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing. Um, that again is this like uh, 
bringing forward, not necessarily a quoting uh, or anything, but a bringing forward of the conversation from Isaiah 35, which was referenced in Matthew 11 when the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked if he was the Messiah. Like they they didn't say, are you the Messiah? They said, um, where is it? Uh, Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus's reply to them is go back and report to John what you hear and see the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and good news is proclaimed to the poor. And this was like Jesus without saying, yeah, I'm the one to come. He points to the proof of who he is that all around him, people are being healed and and the kingdom of heaven is being ushered in. And this, the context of this answer was other Jews. And now we're fast forwarding and we're in this territory of the Gentiles and he is giving, we are seeing the same answer. And so like you just said, how he is, Jesus is the same, whether it's the Jew or the Gentile, like he is, he is the same. He is the same Messiah that was sent for the Jews is also sent for the Gentiles because the same kingdom that is breaking in in front of the Jews and amongst the Jews is also breaking in in front of the Gentiles and amongst the Gentiles. And that is, that's exciting. And I wonder if it would be too far to like kind of bring this into today, if it would be too far to say that, you know, Jesus, just as he came for the Jews and the Gentiles, he came for the saints and the sinners. Mm-hmm. And just keeping that in perspective and remembering that it's not a particular class mm-hmm. that that Jesus is coming back for. Um, right? Like we know as the church, we're supposed to be prepared, but he wants to restore all of creation. Yeah. It's his will that none should perish. None is a pretty strong word, I feel like. And yet, this compassion that Jesus has is attractive. The love that he has, the way that he lives is attractive. So then it makes me ask the question, like, the compassion that I have or the way that I live or the love that I have, is it uh, equally, not that I'm Jesus, but is he is, is he being displayed in me enough that it's attractive to the people around me? Because ultimately, like that is the the objective as a believer, as a Christian, as someone who says that I am going to live like Jesus. Then I should like we've had this discussion a few weeks ago about 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 this idea of being. Like, the way that Jesus lived is attractive. And I think that compassion that he displayed or that he talked to the disciples about is maybe that is, like, in the first part, he lived that out. Like, it was done through his action. In, like, the second half of this, I feel like it's more like addressing the church. Like, this is what compassion should look like because the disciples are the church at this time. Um, And so like, this is what compassion should look like. We know what people who don't know 
know Christ's need. And so what are we doing to like make sure that it's it has hands and feet, that it's actually being lived out? We don't we don't send them away hungry. Right. We're we're making sure that they leave satisfied. And then there's still extra to collect, like when everyone's satisfied. It kind of reminds me of like the manna, like, like there was enough, like they could have kept going out and collecting and collecting and collecting, but what was going to happen? Like it was going to be useless, right? It was going to be useless, but like he, he gives us what we need and anything else. Like we don't have to keep like running back, trying to get extra and extra and extra because he supplies what we need to be satisfied. Holding this in the context of being the people, Derek, like you said, who who ha- who are called to have this Jesus-like compassion uh, for those who are lost and to declare this good news, I think. I don't know. I think sometimes it can become exhausting, or you feel like you don't have the time, or. I mean, you can make a thousand excuses depending on probably even your personality type, not, you know, or your schedule or whatever. Um, but what you said when you said, you know, he satisfies and he will provide enough and then there will still be some left over. So whether it's time that's being prohibitive, whether it's me thinking my personality is too, too quiet, I'm not bold enough. Like I can't talk to other people. I'm going to get peopled out, you know, um, (laughs) Whatever that is, he will be sufficient and he will provide enough. Um, And there will still be excess at the end of it. So I feel like that's empowering to know that he hasn't sent us on a mission without promising that he will equip and provide for whatever we need, even if we don't see it. Yeah, he's, he's making provision before we even ask for it because the people hadn't asked for food. But that's what a that's what a good God does. Like He sees our need, and He's like, "I'm going to meet the need." If we're aware, like where we need to be, He He always meets the need. I think, kind of in 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 the vein of this conversation, uh, in looking at the story. So. Um, Jesus asks the disciples after they say, where are we going to get enough food to feed these people? He says, how many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. While there is a miracle that takes place here, right? Because seven loaves and a few small fish do not feed 4,000 people ever, right? Without a miracle taking place. The miracle doesn't happen without the sacrificial giving of what they did have. Like the disciples, Jesus asked the question, what do you have? And they said, this is all we have. Here it is. Seven pieces of bread and two small fish, or a few few fish. It's all we have. And so it's like Jesus takes the sacrifice of of his disciples, and he makes it sufficient for the task at hand. And that for me, it gives me hope. And it, I think it gives all of us hope as people um, in bringing it into today because 
Jesus has called us to do something. I mean, Matthew 28, 19, pretty clear. Go and make disciples in all the world, right? Um, the call throughout, uh, let's see, First Peter, be holy as I am holy. Uh, you got First John to, to live as Jesus lived, this conversation. Like, there are some pretty impressive things that that are put into our hands where like we, there's a calling on our lives as people who want to follow after Jesus. And the reality is we don't have to do like acquire a skill set on our own to meet that calling. We simply have to say, okay, Jesus, I hear what you're asking for. This is everything I have. Make it enough. And then Jesus takes care of the rest. And I think too often we we allow ourselves to, well, we almost paralyze ourselves because we convince ourselves that we uh, can't do something, right? Like I'm not a gifted speaker. I'm an introvert. I um, don't have enough time. Like whatever it is, like you can... the gamut of excuses is is vast. I can't disciple somebody. I can't disciple somebody. But our role in the work of God, in the work of, of what Jesus wants to accomplish in this story and in the story of our lives, our role is simply a role of full surrender where we offer everything that we have, and then he takes care of the rest. Mm. Now, I don't have to say I can't disciple. Well, the truth is, you're right. We can't. I can't disciple somebody. But when I offer everything that I am, my time, my nuances that I may have, the weird quirks about me, he's going to take that. And he's going to put me in a situation with somebody that all of a sudden... I can disciple because he is working in me and through me, right? I'm not the miracle, but I'm part of it. So I wonder when we don't, when we don't take those things, like we don't sacrificially give. Maybe this is a bad parallel, but I think of Ananias and Sapphira Hmm. and like not trying to condemn anyone, but when we don't, take everything and leave our hands open and say like, here's my time or here's my, my whatever, fill in the blank. Are are we doing the same thing? Like it's essentially like we go to Jesus with, with our two hands, but one's like held, held closed. Like we don't, you, you can't have what's in you. Like you can have this side, you can have my left hand, but you can't have what's in my right hand. And maybe that's not, maybe that's not a fair, like, like parallel, but I could see where that could be similar, where we're not willing to give everything. Or we're afraid to do so. Yeah. Well, we stop at that first question or, you know, Jesus says that, you know, it tells, talks about them being hungry and he doesn't want to send them away. And the disciples replied, well, where are we going to get food around here? You know, there's not enough here. And we, when we do that, we kind of stop there. Like, mm-hmm. oh, like we don't have enough. We don't have what it takes. We like, tried. Yep, sorry. Like somebody else is going to have to come and take care of that. Um, but Jesus points out, hey, you, you've got something. You just have to give it up. You just have to let me do something with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times it's hard for us to have that 
that faith, even though we've probably seen it before because they saw it before. They saw it in the chapter before. Like sure. <laughs> he took this, he did something miraculous with it. But, you know, this time, you know, maybe he won't. You know, maybe, you know, what we have, we just have seven loaves. Like that's not, that's not going to be enough. But, you know, Jesus, you know, just tells them, hey, this is what you have and this is what, watch what I can do with it. He makes whatever offering we give enough. And I think, I mean, not to put a caveat on that, but I do think it, it's important that we recognize it. It's not that the the disciples had 25 loaves of bread and they gave seven. They said, we have seven loaves. This is what we have. And so, yes, I think that that Jesus can absolutely use, take whatever we offer and make it enough. But I think it comes into that that conversation of like, where is your heart in the giving? Mm-hmm. Like, are we are we giving, expecting a miracle because we don't want to give everything because we got to keep some for ourselves? And it's like, okay, Jesus, you're going to have to do something because this is all I can afford to give you. And so you need to do something with that because I need to make sure I have this for myself. Well, uh, and I think that's where Derek was going with the Ananias and Sapphira yeah. in Acts in the early church when they had sold their property and then they decided we're going to say this is everything we got. And we're but we're going to keep this back because we'll, you know, we, we need something for us. We can't just give everything up. And when we do that, we're really living in deceit. Like, and who are you deceiving? Like, okay, if I deceive you, okay, like that's a person. But when you do that to Jesus, you're you're just trying to deceive the creator who knows your every ourselves. thought. Right. And so like it it's easy it it could be easy to look and say, "Well, wow, that's that's great faith. Like I'm so glad that they were able to do that." But you know, it it's an opportunity to truly like put your faith in the hands of the one who can make the giving enough. Mm-hmm. And when you give it all, like he does unbelievable things. And I don't like, uh, I don't mean fish or money, whatever the all is that he's asking for, because mm-hmm. it might be fish today. It might be money tomorrow. It might be fill in the blank. Um, but when you give all, like he can do incredible things. And I mean, we've all been, we've all been privileged to see what God does when we say I'm giving all. Like you look back in in amazement, like how could that have possibly ever happened? Because you were willing to say, "Well, this is what I have, Jesus." Like, if you can use it, like, use it. Right. And and then he does amazing things. And I think the thing is, when we give, when we give it all, not only not only is the miracle what God does with what we give. But the miracle is how he still takes care of us in the midst of our surrender of everything. Like I, I look at the, this particular story again, right? He, we know that he had, you know, 12 disciples that were regularly with him. It doesn't give a list of the names of those that were with him, but we could assume it's the 12. And he asks them what they have. And they say, we have seven loaves and a few small fish Last time I checked, seven loaves and a few small fish is not enough for 12 men to eat and feel satisfied. 
just just throwing it out there. And yet they offered it up and they were part of that group that was satisfied as a result of the, their surrender, Jesus's miracle, they were also provided for in the midst of their sacrifice. Um, and so it's almost like our willingness to give, our willingness to give sacrificially in whatever arena that giving might take place in is an indication or, or a, a reflection of our faith and trust that God is God and he's going to not just take care of those on the other side of the gift, but the one on this side of the gift who is sacrificially giving. I think maybe one of the other things that we could talk about um, in this is um, pertains more to the crowds. And so jumps back a little bit to, to verse 32 and um, so we, we have these crowds and they're there. And I imagine as they're teaching or as Jesus is teaching and they're watching these miracles, they, they, they know what supplies they brought with them. Undoubtedly, they brought supplies with them for this journey. They knew it would be maybe a bit of time, but their supplies are running thin, but yet they stay. They continue to stay and continue to stay and continue to stay until Jesus sees it as, well, they don't have enough. They must be super hungry, so much so that he's concerned that they'll collapse on their way home. And so it's like Jesus allows them to kind of get to this place of them being at the end and choosing to stay, even knowing they have no backup plan, right? Like they've got to make this journey home, but that's it. That's all there is. And I think there's a lot we can probably take from that for us today. Desire makes you do crazy things. That's a, that's, I think of like anytime we plan a trip, like we're making sure we got like everything we need for every day. And you go somewhere with the expectation that you're going to be there like an afternoon. And then three days later, you're like, oh, I'm still here. But desire makes you do crazy things. Oh, to have that desire for Jesus, that you would sit there at his feet so long that you put your own life in jeopardy, that you put your own journey home at risk. As you guys are saying that, all I can think is, you know, the Beatitudes and Jesus saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is, this is a perfect example of a people who were hungering and thirsting for righteousness because they were there for Jesus. And I, I'm pretty sure if we were to look up righteousness in like a, a Bible dictionary, obviously, you would see Jesus's name right there. And they were just hungering and thirsting for him. And I think this is so probably intentionally poetic and beautiful that we have this like feeding story in the midst of people who are clearly hungering and thirsting for him. And they're not concerned mm. with their own physical hunger or thirst because they see their need for him and, and they want him so badly. Well, when you want him that badly, like we sang on Sunday, nothing else will do mm. like you just want Jesus. And 
and everything else like grows strangely dim um because as i already stated that desire will make you do crazy things crazy things that well they will seem crazy maybe i should say it like that it will do things that will make others scratch their head i mean uh, i think that's that's a life uh, for me, I, I almost feel like that's an indicator of like knowing that you're doing Jesus's will. It's like, w- like how crazy, like <laughs> how crazy has your life been? Like mm. for me, that that feels like an indicator. Like I've seen people who've done things that will make you scratch your head, and yet you see Jesus in the middle of them because desire does that, and when nothing else will do, that's what you do. Mm. And on the flip side. When you're someone who has already made that decision and living in that desire, you know, the, dis- the disciples have lived that out of, like, I surrender all. Like, this is all I have, and I'm going to surrender it to you and, look, and, and just see what you can do with it. And, and you're right. Like, what you said is true. Like, it meets the need of the person, and it, it also meets the need of, of the giver. But, I mean looking at it from a perspective or trying to have like the heart of Jesus, like you are concerned with what you're giving, like how, how it meets the needs of others. Like you, if I'm sitting there in a crowd of 4,000 men and women and children, and I'm seeing like God provide the needs of these people who had nothing, I'm thanking Jesus, not because of my gift. Mm -hmm. I'm thanking him because he took what seemed like nothing and and fed people with it. And so, like, I, I think both sides are obviously important, but I mean it's it's a it's unbelievable to see what God can do with a little bit. Like our little is enough in his hands. I just uh I just keep thinking about this idea of desire and I remember it was like two episodes ago, maybe three, when you, Derek, brought up like addicts and the crazy things that, that people will do to like get that high or whatever it is that they're addicted to, like to obtain that, that object of their desire. And it just, I, I don't know. And, and then this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness and, and I guess I'm, continuing to be overwhelmed like I think about the the place where we live and the people that live here their desires are elsewhere like they are not the ones that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness my question would be is it is it that not that they don't desire or is it that nobody has lived out the desire enough for them to want maybe that yeah probably well and here we are again faced with this reality that we like they were encountering Jesus like they got to see him firsthand we are the Jesus right like we are what they encounter we are his hands and feet and so what Jesus are we giving be sure to follow the living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases to learn more about the church at Riverstone visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org